0: Good morning. It says in Psalm 118, verse 24, that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And that includes even daylight savings time. So I don't know how you woke up this morning, but I I pray that you have the joy of the Lord in your heart this morning, that you've come here expectant to receive, because by God's grace and through His Spirit, we will. Amen? Uh, Gary told me and reminded me that... um, I should probably introduce myself to you guys because like our church in Romania, which is much smaller than your church, y'all are a bit of a transient church, and a lot of you guys don't know me because I haven't preached here in three years. So I'm going to introduce my family to you through a photo, um, as you see my beautiful wife there, Denisa, uh, and to her, her um, left is our firstborn son, who's two years old, Adoniram, and Adoniram was named after the first American missionary, Adoniram Judson. If you haven't had the chance to read his story, I highly recommend it. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal story. Adoniram is also a name in the Bible, but we didn't name him after the Bible. We named him after the missionary. Uh, to my right is my seven-month-old. Uh, his name is Abishai. And if you don't know who Abishai is, he is in Scripture, and you should know who he is. So you can look up his story in Second Samuel um, chapter uh, um, 21 verses 15 through 17, and 1 Chronicles chapter 11 verses 20 through 21, as well as 18, uh, chapter 18 verse 12. So that's our family. They unfortunately couldn't be here with us today for multiple reasons, which I'm not going to get into this morning. But. So take a look at our picture if you would be so kind to remember us in your prayers. We would really, really appreciate it. We need them, especially now. Why do I say especially now? Because uh, on the 24th of February, as everyone's aware, Russia invaded Ukraine. Ukraine, the Ukrainian border is two and a half hours from where we live, and the day that the Russia invaded Ukraine, there was a girl in my church that messaged us and said, hey, there's a family from Ukraine that's going to probably be leaving and seeking refuge. Can we help? Now, me and my wife had just moved into a a, a house that God blessed us with, a big house that we really had no idea why he gave it. A month gave it to us. A month before that, we were in an apartment, but through a series of circumstances, we were forced to move. And the only thing available in January was a big house. But God gave it to us at a ridiculously cheap price. We had no idea why. We were excited. We're like, we got this big space for our kids to run around. This is awesome. God's blessing us, and we're still excited about it. And God is blessing us. But three weeks later, we moved in after the the first week of February, three weeks later on the 27th of February three families from Ukraine showed up at our house and um, there's this little thing that, that, that we have on Google called share your location and the Ukrainians shared their location and our house became an area where refugees started coming and we didn't plan for that we had no idea we were getting into that but they started coming and you know Everything on paper said this is doesn't make sense, but as they kept coming and kept coming, um, you know, we, we, we just needed to respond. In in the midst of that, Gary messaged me and said, "Hey, brother, you know, with everything that's going on, we were thinking about you. We we're praying for you, and we wanted to just uh, you know let you know let you know that." So I messaged him back and said, "Well, let me tell you what's going on." And GBC responded instantly when they heard about what was going on, and it really encouraged us because. To do all this is a a work of faith, right? The Ukrainians left their home in faith, had no idea where they were going. We said we would help in faith, and GBC said we're going to help in faith. So um, there's one woman who speaks English, and she was kind enough to make a video to express their gratitude to the church. Hello, my name is Masha, I'm Ukrainian, and um, on behalf of all the Ukrainians who are being helped here in Romania, Uh, I want to say, um, to express our gratitude to the uh, GBC Church for your willingness to help, for your uh, big hearts, uh, for your love which we feel uh, from you here and uh, in this time of sorrow and uh, darkness. Thank you a lot and may God bless you abundantly. So I pray, I pray that that encourages you guys as much as you guys encourage us and them. Um, you know, to, to do this type of a thing, it really is kind of counterintuitive, right? On paper, it kind of looks unwise. It looks it maybe senseless and in, 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 a largely, in a large degree, maybe even impossible. But what is impossible with man is possible through God, and we don't walk by Sight we walk by faith. Um, what we 're going to be looking at this morning is another example of uh, something counterintuitive a, a, a story in the Bible that we see a lot uh, the same type of thing. people who had to walk by faith, not by sight, and it was very counterintuitive to what was in front of them it 's going to take place in the book of First Kings. so if you have your Bible, you can turn there it 's going to be in the seventeenth chapter. Um, I'm going to give you a little context because it's actually in the middle of a big narrative. So, the narrative of Elijah, if you guys know his story. Uh, But we need to have a context so we understand where we are. Um, In uh, 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 through 34, right before chapter 17, it talks about this this, um, king that comes to power. His name is King Ahab. Maybe you guys have heard of him. And King Ahab marries this woman named Jezebel. And Jezebel is from an area called Sidonia. Right? She, she, she marries, he marries Jezebel, and Sidonia was an evil pagan land. They were an, an area that was worshiping false gods, and Ahab marries her, and, and that marriage, that unequally, unequally yoked marriage led to Baal worship. It led to a worship of a false god, and in verse 32 it says that Ahab set up an altar to this god, and uh, it, he led his people astray. The whole nation was to be worshiping Baal. So he was a very evil king, and it says in verse 33 that um, Ahab did more to anger God than any other king before him. So Ahab was really, really evil, and he, he led the, the country towards idolatry. And in chapter 17, verse 1, we see God's judgment pronounced through Elijah. Elijah says, there's going to be a famine in the land, right? God is a just God. He doesn't let sin go unpunished. He says, I am going to punish sin. There's going to be a famine in the land. He announces it through uh, Elijah who says, it's not going to rain for three years until I say it will. And then um, what we see happen is God takes Elijah off to, li- to live for a while near this creek. He lives near this creek and that's to give him water. And then also these ravens bring him food supernaturally. The ravens bring him food to eat. But what happens in, the, in verse um, 7 of chapter, chapter 17, it says that the, the creek dries up And God takes Elijah elsewhere. That's where we're going to pick up our text this morning. And we're going to read it uh, as we talk about it. So if you have your Bibles and you're there, chapter 17, we're starting at verse 8. And the way we're going to do this is normally I would read the text and then talk about it. But we're going to read the text as the story unfolds, as we talk about it. So it says in in, in verse 8, beginning in verse 8, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, meaning Elijah, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. And dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow uh, there to feed you. Okay, so let's stop here. What we see here is God giving this word to Elijah, telling him to get up and go. The, the creek's dried up, you need to go. But what's very interesting is where he tells him to go. He tells him to go into the heart of enemy territory. Remember that if you know this story, if you read the full narrative, you'll see that Elijah. Becomes the hatred or becomes an object of hate for Jezebel and Ahab. They can't stand him. They want him dead. And, Ahab, and God says, you know what? I'm going to send you into the middle of their land, into this area where these false gods dwell that have no power and I'm going to show my power there. I'm going to provide for you. I've commanded this widow to provide for you. So this would be very counterintuitive for Elijah to get up and go. right? It would be like you know, uh, to give you a, a, an example, it would be like God saying to a Ukrainian, go into the middle of the Russian army right now. I'm gonna provide for you there. That's, that's kind of the context. So Elijah has a choice to make. What does he do? Let's, let's continue reading. It says in the next verse, verse 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Verse 11, and and as she was going to bring it, he called out to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So Elijah decides, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to go uh, into an area where I should not go. I'm gonna follow God's command. I'm gonna trust that he has a widow that's there that's going to provide for me. And when he arrives there, he sees a widow. She's gathering sticks and he says, hey, bring me some water, bring me some bread. Now, it's very interesting, right? What we see here, remember, God told Elijah that I've commanded a widow. So you would think that she already knows that he's coming. But what does Elijah say to her? No, Elijah comes and says, hey, bring me some water, bring me some bread. What we see here is that God has chosen his means of operation is to work through his people. So Elijah is actually the one who brings the word of command for the widow to help him. So he says to her, yes, bring me the bread, bring me some water. Now, listen to her response. It's very interesting how she responds. She responds in verse 12. And she said, as the Lord, your God lives. Let's just stop there for a second. As the Lord, your God lives. She was a Sidonian. She was like Jezebel. She was in the land of pagan gods. Yet here in this verse, she's recognizing that the God of Elijah is the living God. As the Lord your God lives, the gods here are dead gods, but your God is the living God. So she already, you can see that this widow has an idea by the grace of God who God is. And she goes on after that. She says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So look at this woman's situation. She's in the middle of a famine, right? She's down to her last meal. She doesn't even have enough to, 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 to give Elijah anything. She said, I have a, just enough flour, just enough oil to make a meal, our last meal, and then we're gonna eat it and then we're just gonna wait to die. That's where she's at. So Elijah has come to her and said, listen, I need some water, I need some bread. But she said, I can't do it. I mean, I'm being honest, I'm gonna be honest. Your God, I'm telling you, your God is a living God and before him, I, don't ha- I can't do it, I can't help you. Now listen, how, how Elijah responds to this. Verse 13, it says, And Elijah said to her, do not fear, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. So Elijah tells her, don't fear. Lest you can go make your last meal, but first bring me some too. So in other words, make yourself a smaller, make, 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 make less than what you are already going to eat. But, the, but he doesn't quite say that because he gives her a promise. Listen to what he says in verse 14. He says, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, in the Old Testament, when, when a prophet spoke and they said those words, for thus saith the Lord, if they were not true, a prophet would get stoned. A prophet had to be right 100% of the time. And if they were, were, were not right even 1% of the time, they were stoned to death. So keep that in mind today when somebody comes to you and says, thus saith the Lord. Say, okay, you know, that's the, 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 what prophecy really looks like. So he says, for thus saith the Lord of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. So, He gives her this word, thus saith the Lord. God says that the the jar of oil, or the the jar of flour, and the jug of oil are not going to run dry. They're not going to be spent. They're not going to be empty. So she has a choice to make. She has a decision to make in that moment. Is she going to trust the word of the Lord that was spoken through Elijah, Elijah, even though it's super counterintuitive for her to do that? Or is she going to say, no, I'm sorry, I'm just going to take what I have, take care of me? do what makes sense, do, uh, do what, what looks like it's wise, and go on from there. You see, when, when we have a moment, we have an opportunity to live by faith, it always involves usually that choice. Now, the, 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 our, our faith, our Christianity, is something that is faith, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a faith that we have, a faith that we trust in Jesus. We don't see him, but we believe that he lived a, a perfect life, that he died and rose again. At the same time, as we walk out, as we walk out our faith, there's going to come times in our life like what we're experiencing in Ukraine right now, right? Where you are faced with something where you have to say, this doesn't make sense, but you know what, I know it's right. I know it's right. That's exactly what, when people have asked us about what we're doing in Ukraine or in Romania with the Ukrainians right now, we say, you know what, it doesn't make sense. It didn't look wise. We're not wealthy people, but we know that this is right. So let me ask you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, what are you doing? Or when was the last time in your life when you actually had to live by faith? When was the last time? Meaning, when you didn't have all the I's dotted, all the T's crossed, when everything wasn't lined up, and you said, Still, this is the right thing to do. I need to trust God, even though it doesn't look wise to the world that I might do so. Because this is what we see here. For Elijah, he had a choice to make. Elijah said, Man, this is enemy territory. It's counterintuitive for me to go there. God said, there's a widow there who's going to take care of me. i got to make a choice whether or not I'm going to go. Elijah gets up and goes. He comes up to the widow who's down to her last meal. And he says to her, listen, God told me that you're going to provide for me. Bring me some, bring me some bread. Bring me some water. And the widow says, I don't have anything to give you. I only have a small amount of flour, a small amount of oil. And Elijah says, God said, that the, thus saith the Lord. God says, the oil jar won't run dry and the flour Uh, the the flour jar won't run dry. She has a choice to make. They both chose to be obedient. Listen to what it says. Verse 15, it says, And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many, many days. Verse 16, the promise of the Lord fulfilled. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that uh, he spoke by Elijah. God fulfilled what he said. God rewarded their faith. God's grace was there. They walked out in faith, trusting that God was gonna, Elijah said, this is the widow that God was gonna provide through. And the widow said, man, Elijah gave me this word, I need to trust him. And she did. And when she did, we see that the promises of God was fulfilled. Now, what does this mean for you and I? What does this mean for us here at GBC, the 13th of March, 2022, that's an ancient story. What, what, is, what relevance does this have for us? Well, let me draw your attention to the Apostle Paul's words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. He says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now, this passage of Scripture is at the end of Paul's life. He's writing to Timothy in front prison, and he knows his end is near. And he's talking about his life that has been poured out. He says, my life has been poured out as a drink offering. I have lived my life for Christ. I've exhausted myself in the faith. I have run the race. And he goes on afterwards to say, man, I'm going to receive the crown that's due to somebody who's run the race. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, what does that have to do with the story of Elijah and this widow? And how is that how does this make it relevant for us? Well, think about it this way. Our lives are meant to be poured out. Our lives are meant to be poured out in a way that requires us to have faith. Okay, Paul, if you study his life, he suffered more than anyone else. He went to places that weren't wise. He did things that he shouldn't have done, humanly speaking. But as he did them, he poured out. Now, what happens in our culture in this day and age so many times what we do with our Christianity is it, we reduce it to what we're doing right now. We reduce it to what we're doing right now. We come, we gather, we, we worship God in song, which is a beautiful thing. We sit on the pews or we sit in the seats, whatever you have, and you hear a message of God and then you decide whether or not you like it, right? You say, well, the word was okay. And you go on with your life. And what oftentimes happens is, you know, people come back to church or in their lives, they feel empty, even as Christians. They say, man, you know, I just, I'm struggling in my spiritual life, man. I, I, I just don't see God, I don't feel God, I don't, I don't see him at work in my life. Maybe you guys can relate to that feeling, where you, you, you are wanting more, but you're not getting it. And one of the reasons why we don't is because we don't do what we're supposed to do, which is take that which God has given us and bringing it to the world. And what I mean by that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, there's, there's a, something that's often said, which is not exactly biblically true. What I mean by that is this. People will say, uh, the church is a place for the sick, not the healthy. Amen to that, but let me explain a little bit in regards to what I want to say. Right? They'll say, the, 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 we should be able to bring non-Christians to church. Amen, we should. They, they're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they can get saved. However, biblically speaking, the church is a place where the saints are to gather. This meeting is for believers. It's not for unbelievers, even though unbelievers are welcome and they're going, they can hear the gospel. This is a place where we are to be built up. We are to be equipped to be what? To be sent out. Jesus didn't say, tell everyone to come to church. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not to come, but to go. Not to invite, but to send. You guys follow me? And a lot of times, we don't do that. And what happens is, is we end up feeling stale, dry. Right? And the word of the Lord says to go. Now, when we go and we pour ourselves out, it, we, we have an, we're emptied. Right? We're empty. Now, you'll probably be thinking to yourself, what does this have to do, again, with the story of the widow? Well, what did the widow have to do? The widow had that choice to make. Am I going to go back into the kitchen? I'm going to go into the kitchen, take that oil, I'm going to pour it out. I'm going to take that flour, I'm going to use it. Then I'm going to take what I have, and I'm going to bring it to the people there. I'm going to trust God that he, that's not going to run dry. We have the same choice to make. We have the same choice to make. We need to go empty ourselves. If we're emptying ourselves, what do we need to be filled with? That's the next question. Well, let me draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. The, the book of Ephesians is a very interesting book. The first three chapters are all about who we are in Jesus. It's not about anything we need to do. It's all about who we are because of what he's done. And at the end of this, and then in chapter, verses, uh, chapters uh, 4 through 6, it's that how we are supposed to live because of this. At the very end of the section about who we are in Christ, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. This is the very end of him talking about who we are in Jesus. He says, I pray, it's his prayer for them and for us, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in the inner man through the Spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, width, height, and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be what? Filled with the fullness of God. Filled with the fullness of God. When we understand the depth and the size of God's love for us, the love that moved Christ to the cross to die for his sheep, my friends, then we can be filled up with the fullness of God. That's what Paul's prayer was. He spent three chapters talking about it, and he's like, listen, I pray that you guys get this, how much God loves us, that moved him to do all these things for his people. But it's, he doesn't stop there. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18, he says this, Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. That phrase, be filled with the Spirit, in the Greek, you can think of it this way, keep being filled with the Spirit. Now, before any of you guys think that I'm going crazy charismatic here this morning. I'm not talking about some weird definition of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Well, what, I'm talking about the biblical definition. You might ask, well, what's the biblical definition? Well, it's actually right in the text, the very next thing. Paul says, but be filled with the Spirit. Then he gives the definition, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. What does that sound like? Does that not sound like a church gathering to you? Singing songs, encouraging one another, gathering one another, submitting with one another. There's a purpose for our church meetings. Again, what is that purpose? For us to be filled up with the spirit of God, to be filled up with the fullness of God, understanding his love. When we talk about Christ's love at church, it's to fill us up. When we come here, when we sing songs, it's because God's going to fill us with the spirit. Why? Because we are intended to pour out. We're intended to take that and pour out. When you come to church every week, you should come in here feeling empty, feeling empty. And now don't be confused. I'm not talking about coming to church feeling discouraged or depressed and empty in that sense. I'm talking about empty in the sense that I have, you have, we have exhausted ourselves for the cause of Christ in our homes, with our children, with our families, with our spouses, at our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, to the nations. We should be pouring out this way. A lot of times people think that, you know, unintentionally probably, think, oh, you know what, I pay my tithes and offering, that's for goods and services. The people on stage, they're the one doing the ministry, I'm here just to watch in the chairs. That's not, that's not right, my friends. No, all of us are called to participate in the mission of God. Christianity is not a spectator sport. If you're sitting here and just saying, you know what, I'm gonna let everyone else do the ministry, I, I got my life out and live my life, I get my little fix on Sunday and I'm good. You have a wrong attitude and understanding of what it means to be a Christian and the church. I say that in love. We need to be pouring out, not being just people who come and consume, but people who are ready to go out and produce. But a lot of times we don't do that. We don't. And we come to church stale. Maybe that's some of you this morning. I want to do an illustration to show you how this applies in a different kind of way. You see, I'm drinking a a water here, I'm going to finish it right now. I kind of need to anyways, if you can't tell. My throat, I, I think, may be completely dry here. So you see this water bottle, it's almost empty, i got one more sip. You see this water bottle. What's the difference between the two? One's empty, one's full. Imagine, that these represent people, right? These people are coming to church. If this person comes to church, can they be filled? No. Number one, their lid's on. They're sealed shut. They're not pouring out. It's all about them, right? So they come, and this, whatever they have inside, eventually that's going to get stale. That's going to get old. That's not going to be fresh. But if you're pouring out, and you come to church, and you're empty, you come here. You see this little funnel that I took out here. Imagine what this is. This is God's conduit. You can think of this as the church, this service that we're in. This comes in like this, and then all of a sudden God comes in and just begins to pour and fill you up, fill me up, fill us up. And we see what happens. That which was poured out is getting refilled. This is a beautiful picture of what we're supposed to be doing. So you see, that which was empty is now full. Full so we can go out and pour out. Again, going back to the story of the widow. Right? That widow was very similar to that. That widow had to take that which she had. She said, I'm going to go into the kitchen. I'm going to use it. I'm going to get stuff. I'm going to go out. I'm going to bring bread to Elijah and my son but then I got to go back to the kitchen. I'm going to go back to the kitchen, pour out again, get, go out. And as she kept doing this, she kept bringing the bread, kept bringing the food. What happened? God kept filling it, filling it, filling it, providing, providing. You and I, every Sunday we come to church. Maybe twice a week we have a midweek thing too, right? We come every week. Why? God begins to fill us up. We go out, we pour out. What do we pour out with? We are not bringing physical bread, although maybe sometimes what we do may include physical bread. We're bringing the bread of life. Jesus said, "I'm the bread of life." We are to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring that out of our church doors. We're bringing to bring it into our lives, bring it into the world. That's the mission of God. We are to be doing that. You are to be doing that. I'm to be doing that. There's no exceptions. It's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. It's not a calling, it's a command. Yes, there are some people who have the gift of evangelism, but everyone's commanded to evangelize. That's you, me, and everybody. Now, this message, I'm not saying that, and it means that's intended to condemn you or to make you feel guilty this morning. If you're feeling some conviction, that's okay. But we don't go out and do these things to make God pleased with us. Right? There's nothing we can add to our righteousness. Our righteousness is not our own. Our righteousness is a righteousness that's given to us by faith in Christ that he imputes onto us freely. However, we have the freedom now to go out and do this. We go out and pour ourselves out, not so God will be pleased with us, but because he is pleased with us. The book of Romans says we now are slaves of righteousness. We have the freedom to be slaves of righteousness. Again, counterintuitive. It's freedom to be a slave of righteousness? Yes, because we're no longer slaves of sin. Now we can go out and have the freedom to live for Jesus without thinking we have to do it perfectly because none of us can. Jesus did it perfectly. But with that freedom, we now can go out and do it. My question to you, brothers and sisters, this morning is, are you doing it? Now maybe some of you guys are sitting here saying, you know what, man, I know that I'm, I'm not doing it. All right? If you're not doing it, well, today's the day to start. You know, All you got to do is say, the same way we woke up this morning and said, hey, praise God for another day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You can also say, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that reminded me what I'm supposed to be doing, that I'm supposed to be going out and pouring out. Um, maybe you're here and you are doing this, and this is just an encouragement to you. That's my intention for everybody, by the way. This week I heard something somebody somebody say. Encouragement just means to bring courage. Not really sure if that's true or not, but I I like it. We're bringing courage to you this morning. We're encouraging you to go out and do what we're supposed to do. That's it. It's not going to make you more. It's not going to make God more pleased with you, but it is going to make you feel more alive. When you begin to share your faith, I, I promise you. When I share my faith, even if people don't get saved when you open your mouth and you speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you tell people what Jesus has done, something in you as a believer comes alive and you say, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what it's all about. Is it scary? Yes. Is it uncomfortable? Yes. Is everyone going to like you? No. They didn't like Jesus. right? As Isaiah says he was despised and rejected by men, not accepted by men. John chapter 3, verse 19 through 20 says that light came into the world, but the darkness hated the light. We talked about this on Friday night. So don't expect everyone to like you, but that's okay. We go out and we love them anyways. We tell them the truth anyways. And when we do that, it's like going to the gym. If, you ever, if any of you guys have ever gone to the gym, when you first start out, you're out of shape? How was that first week? Dude, that's brutal, man. You got that soreness, you know, but there's another part of you that likes the soreness. You're like, yeah, all right, man, my body's still alive. I still got something in me. And after a while, you get used to going to the gym. Then you look forward to it. Our running's another way, same thing. That first run, the first couple days, you're like, (gasps) then all of a sudden you get your wind, right? Evangelism and mission pouring out, it's the same way. It's like in the beginning, it's going to feel really awkward, really comfortable. Then you just, you know, you get used to it. You're walking around Walmart, you're like, hey, man, you know, Jesus sent me here, man, just wanted to, you know, give you a little word. You know, you drop little dimes in, in, in the rhythms of your lives. So, yeah, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. But I promise you that God will not let you go unfilled. He'll fill you up as you pour out. And it's weird, right? You're going to come to church empty, but you're not going to feel empty. Again, counterintuitive. You come to church and you feel full, even though you're empty, and you need to be refilled by the Spirit, you need to be refilled by God, but you're actually filled with joy, because you walk in, and, you, and it's not like, yeah, I'm walking in, I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, and even though you're not going to do it perfectly, we don't do anything perfectly. If you think that I do, just ask my wife, she'll tell you otherwise. So, none of us do things perfectly, but this is where God's grace comes in. His grace is sufficient in our weakness. That doesn't mean we don't try to grow, and don't try to be better. No, we walk... In, in we walk in in greater grace. We pray for greater grace. So this morning, I just want to encourage you with that. And I pray that you're encouraged with that. So let us take that which we receive, that which we've been given, that somebody loved us enough to pour out and tell us about Jesus. Let us go do likewise. Start in your home with your children, with your family. Move to your neighborhoods, communities, and, and wherever God takes you. But do something. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this weekend. Thank you so much for the people in this place. I pray, Lord God, that you would just uh, move through these words, Lord God, that people would leave this place, encouraged, Lord God, and ready to pour themselves out with your gospel. I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.